Kicking and Streaming Podcast is brought to you by Cafe 1804. Premium Haitian coffee now available online at cafe1804.com. That's cafe, K-A-F-E, 1804.com. Yeah, that's good, Georgia. That's good stuff right there. <laughs> hey, <laughs> I tell you what, I mean, there's so much happening. This week was like full of shit on every aspect of life, right? Oh, God. I hate those four days weeks because I think I've told you this before. It, it always ended up feeling like it was more than four days. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You know, it's bombshell after bombshell in politics, uh, shit after shit in Hollywood and movies and networks and all kind of shit. So I think we have quite a lot to, to talk about, but we can always forget about that and just talk about this good ass movie <laughs> that, <laughs> that, you know, look, man, I, I, I still don't understand why is it that Netflix is not promoting the shit out of this movie. Yeah, I I hadn't heard of it at all until you mentioned it, and uh, it's been out since June, and I'm surprised that it didn't show up in my recommendations list. I, I don't understand. <laughs> it, it never showed up on my recommendations list either. I sort of like, like you know, got ahead of it because I was reading something about you know coming to Netflix soon and whatever, and it was from a few months ago. And I remember reading about Wasp Network, and I'm like, huh, I got to get to that one, right? Yeah. And and we did a lot. Like, we did uh, Mucho Mucho Amor and all that. So, so out of all my, you know, bilingual things to watch, it was there, but because they never promoted it, I was like, yeah, maybe it wasn't even that good. Yeah, or, or, you know, sometimes Netflix will be like, oh, we're going to have this, and then something happens and they end up not having it, you know? So, yeah, yeah, you know, like contracts fall through and that kind of thing, and so I probably would have assumed that since it never, you know, especially if I'd had it on my radar. <laughs> but, like, like even in in the new releases or whatever, like, they have shows they released two or three months ago that are still showing up on the new releases. But if you go through the reel of new releases, you don't even see this movie. In fact, I had to search it. Yeah. Georgia. Yeah, I did too <laughs> to be able to find it. I had to search it because I was like, well, it must be in new releases. And I'm, you know, and I was like, it's weird that I didn't notice it. So I'm scrolling through, I'm scrolling through, I'm scrolling through. And it comes back around again. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It that's was exactly, Netflix, right? That's exactly what I did. Yeah. That's exactly what I did. And I was like, what the hell? Right. <laughs> but I'm glad we I'm glad we're gonna talk about this movie. And again, it's a shame that they're not doing much with it. And I have a couple of theories as to why probably this movie is just flying under the radar, to 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 be honest with you. Mm -hmm. Because you know, the Cuban American story, I think this movie, the way the story is told, actually puts quite a ding into that fantastical, magical Cuban-American story. And I don't know that. And I, I would like to have had George with us today mm, so, so he yes. could tell us his perspective on this because yes. I, I don't know that this movie would have been well-received 
in the Cuban American community because to a certain extent it made it look like Cuba outsmarted the U.S. majorly, isn't it? Yes, yes, yeah. I I did read that nobody in Miami was going to be rolling out the the red carpet for this movie. So <laughs> I, I kind of thought so, and that could certainly explain why Netflix isn't pushing it. Because I know uh, there was one truth that the character, one of the characters, talked about in 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 terms of the intolerance of the Cuban-American exile is that if you ever talk or refer to Cuba in any way that that, that is not Cubist shit because communism, you might find yourself in trouble. In, in, if you are an artist, you will lose support. If you are a politician, you will lose support. And so uh, for a movie like this, to to portray to depict the the Castro regime to a certain extent as basically as capable and able as any other government to the point of establishing a whole net uh, spy uh, network of spies in the United States and successfully so I don't think it's it, it's something that uh, the Cuban exile is is thrilled about. And I'm surprised that the whole movie wasn't boycotted and shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, uh, maybe that's that's why Netflix is is keeping it, you know, kind of on the down low and not not really pushing the envelope with it. Oh, we're going to release it, but we don't really want to start any controversy, so we'll just we'll just be quiet. <laughs> Yeah, and, and Netflix is known for for that anyway. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We don't want no trouble, man. <laughs> <laughs> not here to cause any trouble. Yeah. Not here. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get to it. This is Kicking and Streaming Podcast, a binge watcher's guide to streaming movies, TV series, and stuff. Here are your hosts, Graham and Jocelyn. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Kicking and Streaming. My name is Graham, and of course, with me, as usual, via Skype, is the fantastic Georgia, the co-hosts of co-hosts, the greatest, the mightiest, and all kind of eest. <laughs> Howdy doest. <laughs> 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 it sounds like one of those when you're in in, in high school and you, you you know reading Shakespeare and stuff and everything <laughs> and ETH and you just make it all about ETH. Yes, like, yes. He moveth. Yes. He looketh. He, look he doeth. <laughs> <laughs> How do you do it? <laughs> well, Joshua, we are fine, and today we are discussing. A movie that, by if you started from the very beginning, <laughs> you will know that we are complaining that the movie has flown under the radar. It's a Netflix movie with an absolutely fantastic cast, doesn't it, Jojo? Yeah, yeah, the cast is yeah. is phenomenal. And so this movie is called Wasp Network, and uh, it premiered on Netflix back in June. So today we are in, what, September 12th, mm -hmm. and uh, we've 
barely heard about it and I'm sure that unless you are a very avid Netflixer, you probably haven't heard much about it. And so today we are going to tell you why you should watch this movie and and how recent history Mm -hmm. is entangled with it. So Jojo, what did you think over all of this? I was very... I'm interested in history anyway, and I'm interested in history, of course, that I sort of have a vague memory of. But I do have a vague memory of some of this happening, not all of it, but some of it. And to see it told in a movie is fascinating. And to get this kind of, I don't know, behind the scenes of history, if you will, yeah, is is really an, an interesting way to experience something that that you do remember happening uh, through the through the news and you know through newspapers and magazines and how we used to get the news back then. And so uh, it's it's a it's a very enjoyable movie and it's a very interesting movie uh, if you're at all interested in recent history and interested in kind of the the machinations that that go on behind the scenes that we aren't aware of and not in a conspiracy theory sense. <laughs> right. That's but, but, exactly, that, that's exactly right. No, not in a conspiracy theory, conspiracy theory sense, but rather in let's tell this story as close to the facts as possible, regardless of who wouldn't like it to be. So yes, yes, exactly. Exactly. So this is not a, it's not a, Oh, this is, you know, I don't know. Uh, the government is behind all of this and you don't know and that kind of thing, which of course, you know, they probably are, but th- this is, this is what actually happened. This is a dramatized, but still truthful to the facts. As far as I could determine, as far as anybody seems to be able to determine as to what happened during the nineties with the Cuban spy network. That is, that is right. And, and in that spirit, Jojo, of course, there comes the moment for you to do your magic act and, of putting this movie in perspective to our listeners. And obviously, as you always do, no spoilers, but Jojo can tell you in a few words what this movie is all about and why the hell you should watch it. <laughs> Go ahead, Jojo. I'm here. I'm just going I'm just gonna sit here and listen. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> so this this is the Wasp Network. It was internationally co-produced, which is kind of interesting. A lot of countries came together to make this movie. It's based on a book um, called The Last Sto- Last Soldiers of the Cold War. And it is about Cuban spies in the 80s and 90s, late 80s, early to late 90s, Cuban spies that were operating in the United States of America. And it follows the stories of, I believe, five pretty closely and very interesting th- things that you probably didn't know were going on, things that were sanctioned by the American government, things that were done by the Cuban government, and certainly call the last soldiers of the Cold War because, you know, the Cuban missile, missile crisis and, and all of that. So there's, there's so much history that goes along with uh, this, this incident that it's, it's, it's certainly a, a period piece in the sense of, of the time, but also it's definitely watchable. It is, it is enjoyable. It is, it is entertaining in the sense that it, yes, it's history, but it does make it very watchable. 
Definitely. I think we have come to learn that spy movies can only be watchable, enjoyable. The story of spy of spies can only be enjoyable if we are talking about European spies versus American spies during the Cold War. And the fact of the matter is, I don't know that there were any countries in Latin America other than Cuba with the wherewithal to create a successful spy network uh, in the United States. And they had, obviously, the perfect scenario to do so because they do, they did have, or they do have, there is an, a vibrant Cuban community in the United States. And the majority of the Cuban community in the United States, especially the ones, the, the elder ones, are former or, or Cuban or Cuban-born dissidents. So obviously, there is a whole generation of Cubans born in the United States that have never been to Cuba nor would do anything for the Cuban mm-hmm. government. But you have you have quite a a large to this day a large part of the uh, Cuban American population that has still connections in Cuba. And, and obviously, the Cuban government could be in the position of creating a, a, a group of, uh, of people that fits this description and insert them into Cuban society in Miami, which is exactly what happened here. So, little did I know that this was uh, about a book. Uh, the book was uh, written... What what was the name of this dude? Fernando Marias Marias. Fernando Marias, yes. But like, here's what surprises me. I think this project, the fact that so many international production houses came together to make this movie, I think this project was destined for something bigger than what it ultimately ended up being in terms of release, in terms of the the boom that it was supposed to have in the in the moviegoers uh, conscience. What do you think? Yes, yes, I agree. I, I definitely agree with that. I, I also feel that although it's definitely a very watchable movie and I think it's important, especially from a history sense, to watch the movie, there are parts of it that are a bit confusing that I feel perhaps some editing was done <laughs> yeah. to maybe, I don't know, I hate to say water down, but maybe change the message a little bit. So, yeah, I... I I do think that it was destined for greater things, and something happened. Right, like you 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 still left with the sense that the story, although crafted very well, may have not been told entirely, and I can't help but think that it is uh, just in order to appease a group of people who really simply didn't want to have it. Yeah, you know? yeah, and so. The WASP network, as you said, we are old enough to remember the consequences of it. I mean, I was still living in Latin America, but I do remember that. And if you lived in the United States and you were a child of, you know, coming of age in the 90s, if you paid attention to some news, you probably will remember that too, especially such a sensational part of the news. Mm-hmm. But... Even as it was happening, 
even as it was as it had become news, I still think that it was played down a bit. I agree because it, it's a it's an important enough event that I think we should remember it more clearly than for for something that happened in the nineties. We should remember it more clearly than we remember it now. No? I, I I agree. I do agree with that, and I yeah for everything that happened and. I, I think there was some sort of, I don't know what the word would be. <laughs> I hate to use suppression, but I guess downplaying maybe of the importance of this and the events that happened and uh, how badly you could say the United States or the CIA really fucked up. Yeah, which, which, which happens a lot and happens frequently. But again, historically... As Americans, we've always put ourselves in the camp of the good guys who always win. <laughs> that we we don't we don't talk about the major fuck ups. Oh sure, <laughs> sure. And to, the crazy thing is, it's not the first time. That is not the only occasion in which Cuba outsmarted. Uh, I mean, the Castros outsmarted the United States. That has been happening, it's happened throughout the entire 60s and 70s, 80s and 90s, okay? So if one, could, if one can go back into history, you will find there was more where that came from. Yes. So, <laughs> yes. and I don't want it to sound like anybody is, is uh, you know, celebrating a win here or whatever. I'm just saying that spies-wise... The United States it has always made it look like we're smarter than everybody and our spy networks don't fail. But when another country's spy network fails, then we splash it all over the news. And it's important for people to remember that presently, just four years ago, somehow Russia managed to, to play a major role in American politics and in an American election. So again, yeah, our spies fuck up. Our spies, not always we, we, we come out on top. We, we get outsmarted all the time. And this story depicts that. And I don't think it puts the U.S., as you said, in a, in a very flattering light, does it? No, and I, I think there's also a sort of... Uh else to, to put this my words are really completely failing me but uh, uh okay so it was russian people but at least they were white <laughs> this is cuban people they're brown how could they possibly outthink americans united <laughs> states of america do you do you understand what i'm yes. saying i feel like there's very much a, a racial undertone here you know okay so so russia did it yeah are bad but you know they're they're european so of course right. they're smart but how right. could a how could a tiny island yes. with brown people on it ever possibly outthink america yes and I, I hate to go i hate to go there but i honestly feel that way but it is i mean you know one of the things i've hated the most and i've always hated that even before i lived in the United States, even before even before becoming a U.S. citizen, I hate the term that most American politicians use to refer to Latin America, which is America's backyard. We, oh, God. Like, come on. Yeah. What the fuck? And, and like, not too long ago, I actually heard Joe Biden refer to Latin America. And, and I know what they mean. I know what they think they mean by saying that. 
but your backyard means that it's still part of your territories. Your backyard yeah. means your backyard is not independent of your of your house. So when you refer to a, a conglomerate of other countries within the same continent as your backyard, you're basically saying that you you you. I mean, you get into that backyard and have a barbecue and at a, at a pool party whenever the fuck you want. And I hate that analogy. I hate it. Yeah. Yeah. And and that also comes with the connotation too. I mean, at least in where I grew up, <laughs> you kept your front yard nice and pretty and your backyard was where you could let the grass grow and that kind of thing. That you know what I mean? Right. Like, that's exactly right. So I don't know that I don't, I don't, that's, that's, and does that make Canada the front yard? Right. I, I suppose that, <laughs> I suppose that is a question that is an absolutely fantastic question to ask. So if Latin America is, is America's backyard, what, what, what is Canada? Exactly. <laughs> what yes. is Canada? You like the perfect connotation. The, the, the way you talked about it is that, yeah, we've always felt like it's, it's perfectly possible to neglect our backyard until we get to it, isn't it? Yeah, there's, there's no repercussions for neglecting the backyard, you know? I mean, right. most HOAs don't go in your backyard. I, I don't know. I yeah, don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're right. So how do you think this movie got itself such a, a cast? Because, again, this is why I think this movie was destined for a bigger thing. And possibly, was this movie made to be released in cinemas, to be released in theater. And it ended up tucked away in Netflix. Yeah. Because Penelope Cruz, I mean, come on, Penelope Cruz. Yeah. Wagner Moda, you know, that's that's a heck of a cast right there, isn't it? Yeah. I I am confused. (laughs) I do think that it was destined for, for cinema. I, I, I don't know why they decided to go with Netflix for distribution. Maybe they felt it would reach more people that way. But I mean, like you said, Penelope Cruz, and then we have the beautiful Anna Diarmas, uh, yes. who's, who is phenomenal. I've never seen her get put in a bad performance and she's so young. Damn, yes. And I don't, I don't really, uh, I, like you said, I don't really quite understand what happened. It was... It was released in France in cinemas in January. In January, and exactly. I don't, yeah. So I don't know if everything with COVID happened, and they were just like, okay, let's get it to Netflix, so we at least get it out. I really don't know what happened because, as you said, it was they had to have uh, some sort of cash flow to be able to attract these stars, or it was a passion project for them. Either way. Yeah. Either way, either way, they felt strongly enough that they wanted to be a part of this. I mean, that's that's the only explanation. And again, bringing into it to to your point, the detail of yes, it was released in cinema in January in Fr- in France. So it could have been one of those movies. Like this is a, actually a European produced movie. Let's release it. Let's release it in Europe, giving the priority to Europe first. And then mm-hmm. once, you know, it wins Cannes Festival and this and that, you know, we'll release it in the United States. By then, it it would have made enough noise for Americans to be interested in it. And then maybe COVID happened and boom, that, that's, that's all there was. But let us then 
go ahead and talk a little bit about the cast that we've already started talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so we have Penelope Cruz as Olga Salanueva Gonzalez. Penelope, I have to tell you this. And you, you know, I think when you watch this movie, you should have imagined I was going to come back to this. <laughs> I know people, I know actors born and raised in Latin America who have had more contact with Cubans ever than Penelope would have had that cannot put together a fucking Cuban accent as perfectly as Penelope Cruz does in this movie. <laughs> I mean, Penelope Cruz is, like, I have a very dear friend of mine named Analidia Mendes. And every time Penelope Cruz talks in this movie, I could close my eyes and hear Analidia Mendes. That is how good, that is how good her accent is. And, and like I said, I know a bunch like do you know how many times i've watched series and movies where i can tell you exactly when it's a mexican actor playing a cuban when it's a south american actor playing a cuban because the cuban accent is so distinct that i think you can only get close to it if you are from a caribbean Spanish-speaking country, or if you are very well-trained to do so. And Penelope Cruz is absolutely brilliant with the accent and everything else about a Cuban lady. So I am in awe <laughs> at her talent. And <laughs> the reason why I'm so marveled, I'm so in awe, again, is because there couldn't be more distinctions between how a person who was born and raised speaking Castilian Spanish versus somebody who speaks Cuban Spanish or Spanish as a Cuban or Spanish with a Cuban accent. Those two things are so different, <laughs> you know what I mean, mm -hmm. that... Mm -hmm. The closest thing in Spain that comes to how Cubans speak is probably somebody from the Canary Islands, right? Okay. And there's always been speculation as to where the Cuban accent, such distinct accent comes from within Latin America. And a large population of Cuba, Cuba is still relatively one of the youngest countries in Latin America in terms of becoming a country, like in terms of, you know, not being a Spanish colony. And so most of Cuban Americans that are maybe between 60 and 90 years old and probably younger that you'll find in the United States either have a parent born in Spain or both grandparents born in, in Spain. Right, So these people that defected in the 60s to the United States, they were probably either first or second generation Cubans from people directly from Spain. Okay. Right? Okay. But again, the accents are so different 
that I, I, I kept looking back and saying, how is she doing this? How the hell is she doing this? Because acting is easy. But getting an accent right, and you and I have talked about this, Jojo. Yeah. It's not that easy. No, it is, it is, it, it, it is not. It, it cannot be because so many people do it poorly. So many talented people do it poorly. Yeah, and, and you have a lot of examples in this movie. Let's talk about Edgar Ramirez, for instance, the the actor who played Rene Gonzalez, who who is the husband of Olga Salanueva, the character played by Penelope Cruz. Edgar Ramirez is from Venezuela, and he is from a, a place in Venezuela called San Cristobal, which is a coastal region. And so in South America, most of the coastal regions of South America, you have one, you have a bunch of black people. And second, most people in the coast of South America will have a more distinct accent in the Spanish than the rest of their country. And in that respect, it is it is easier for them to imitate, you know, a Caribbean Spanish accent. So Edgar Ramirez couldn't possibly have had a, a hard time trying to fake his Cuban accent. And it was good, <laughs> you know. But I can understand why it would be easy for Edgar Ramirez knowing that he's from, I mean, Venezuela, much like Colombia, Venezuela has, as we say in geography, is bathed in some areas by the Caribbean Sea. And so, like I said, you can go to places in Venezuela, Colombia, in Costa Rica, and people will talk to you like, you know, they're from, you know, Puerto Rico or the Dominican Republic or Cuba, for that matter, or with a very similar accent. So I, I can get that. But this dude has been making a name for himself in the... Uh, he's one of those actors who've crossed over to English-speaking films and, and, and series. And he's done well. What do you think? I, I thought... I, I have not seen him in, in anything, I don't think. And I, I thought he was very, very good. He reminded me of a sort of an old-fashioned actor in the sense of... I felt like I could have watched him in a movie from the the forties or the fifties and he would have fit right in like sort of a, a an old fashioned demeanor style of acting. And, uh, I, I enjoyed his performance very much. I, uh, I thought he was great. Yeah. Yeah. But Jojo, you know, this guy. And once I tell you what he's been on, you will remember him. Okay. Yeah. If you, well, if you remember the, the movie zero, zero dark 30, Yes. He was in, in that. Uh, he played this CIA operative called Larry uh, in okay. Zero, Zero Dark Thirty. He was actually nominated for a Golden Globe. Uh, oh, well, <laughs> silly me. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so, I mean, because it's one of those faces that once you see him, like, I know I've, I've seen this guy before, you know. Right, right. And, and, and most recently, he was in the assassination of Gianni Versace, which was a, one of those American crime story thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think we talked about maybe watching that and then, then didn't. Yeah, I should have watched some of that that series of the American crime story, but I 
failed to take it seriously because I think it launched with the United States versus O.J. Simpson. Ah, okay. And even though I've heard wonderful things about it, but I couldn't get past the idea of them casting Cuba Gooding Jr. to play O.J. Simpson. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I was like, no, I'm not going to watch this. You know, I hear that. What's his name? John Travolta was great as Robert Kardashian. And, you know, Cuba Gooding Jr. was fantastic as OJ. But like I said, I just couldn't get past that. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to watch this. And so the rest of them, the other ones, you know, the assassination of Johnny Versace, I haven't watched it either. But yes, Edgar Ramirez was in that too. So there is, and he was in the the Bourne Ultimatum. And he also played Roberto Duran and you, me, being children of the, you know, coming of age in the early 90s, you probably will remember the recent history of Roberto Hands of Stone Duran, who was a Panamanian boxer who in the 80s was like one of the dopest boxers out there. So that's where Edgar Ramirez's pedigree comes from. Okay. The next actor I want to talk about is Wagner Mora, who played Juan Pablo Roque. I think I've bragged about this guy a lot <laughs> over the past almost two years that, that we've, we've done this podcast. Does the name sound familiar to you? Does the face sound familiar to you? Yes. Yes. Because of uh, a Narcos, I would believe. That's correct. That's, that's, <laughs> that's, dude. That's the dude who played Pablo Escobar in Narcos, the first two, three seasons, I think. And like I said, this guy is uh, a Brazilian-born actor. And I remember bragging about how great his Colombian accent was yes. back, in, back when, when he did Narcos. Well, this time he he couldn't he didn't quite get a Cuban accent for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he didn't get he didn't get a Cuban accent, but there's a, there's only so much you can ask for it for from an actor in terms of accents, and the accents in Latin America are so like I said distinct. But he was a great cast, and he, he was fun. He was. He got scary too. Yes, yes, he did. He got very scary in this. Uh, I was like, "Yo!" <laughs> yeah, he was. He was intense, and uh, there was a moment there where I was afraid for for his young wife. There, <laughs> I was like, "Oh God, what are we about yes. to watch?" <laughs> yes, yes, that moment too. I was like, "Oh, please don't do some shit horrible." Yeah, because I found myself rooting for these characters. Yes. <laughs> You know, so I, I, want, I didn't want anything to happen that would just like, oh, come on, you know. Uh, but I, there's, I think when you talked about the whole, the confusing portion of the movie, I think his end was for me a bit confusing. Yes. It's, it seemed very sudden and sort of ill-defined to me. Like I didn't understand. And I did some reading and, and figured it out. But at the time I was watching the movie and I'm like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> what just happened? <laughs> I'm confused. Well, then, <laughs> then, then go ahead, then clarify that for me. Because I, 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 what the only way, the only thing I could think of 
is that this was all orchestrated in order for Cuba to play their hand in letting the United States know, yeah, niggas, we've been watching, and y'all are going to have to do something. That was was my understanding of, of, of what it was, was essentially he he was homesick and Cuba decided, you know what, let's just tip our hands here so that we can stop this crap from happening. Right. So, okay. But the thing is that he went so far, you know what I mean? And that's the thing about spies, because that reminds me of watching The American, like, a spy has no problem setting up a second stream of their lives. And it just seems so easy for them. Like, this dude got married? Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know. I, I think, too, I, I really enjoyed the sort of the, the, the theatrics of the defection of both himself and, and Rene. Yes. Because it, it was so over the top and so, you know, oh, I'm going to steal a plane and I'm going to fly to America and we're going to do this. And then, you know, he is he swam to Guantanamo Bay and defected. And it was just, you know, these huge pyrotechnic defections that yes. I just, I, the, the, the delicious irony of that was like, well, of course they're, you know, they are legitimate because the the defection here was so, so brilliant and so theatrical. How could they possibly be anything but what they say they are? I I loved that. Jojo, that's exactly I right. Loved that. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. And do you know what? It shows you. Do you remember how we, we we've always talked about you know, much like people would would love to believe that Donald Trump is everything that is wrong with the United States, but in the end, the the diagnostic is actually that Donald Trump Trump is only one of the symptoms of the shit that's wrong with the United States. Mm-hmm. And in the sense that Donald Trump is similar to 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 America. Is for his love of his love of flattery, his love of pageantry, mm-hmm. his love of the spectacular, mm-hmm. and so the way that these guys orchestrated their their defection, it was because they have such they the Cuban government, the, the communist Castro Cuban government had a perfect understanding of how America operates. Yes. And in that, if you made it spectacular enough, if you made it heroic enough, you will be believed, you will be embraced, you will gain, you know, stardom and in status, and no one will ever look at you with suspicion. Nope. No, no, <laughs> because. Yes, one to freedom. Yes, yes, exactly. And 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 doors would be open that wouldn't be open for somebody who just you know took a raft over or or snuck under a fence or something like that. You know, they he was a superstar, a superstar defector. Both of them were yes. superstars. And again, it's just well, that has to be real. It has to be. Nobody could fake that. Who's going to fake swimming ninety miles yeah. through shark infested waters? Who's going to fake? stealing a plane and flying across, you know, nobody's, that, that's impossible. So yeah, I, I, yeah. it's, it's, as you said, a brilliant understanding of the psyche of America. 
Yes, man. Yes. Yes. I mean, Jojo, I, I actually, I'm so relieved that you, <laughs> you liked this movie. <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, because like I say, uh, I, I can understand why this movie isn't popular and wasn't popular in, on Netflix. Was never, never made it to the top tens of Netflix. Um, but I think we find a, a lot of bits and, and pieces in it that, that, that are full of merits and, and, and should, should, should have made it a well celebrated movie. Yeah, I, I agree. There's, 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 there are, of course, you know, nothing is perfect. And there are, of course, problems with this, with this movie and some of the narrative, but not to the point where it's unwatchable, not to the point where you're like, oh, I, you know, I don't, I am completely lost. I have no idea what's going on and I can't finish this. You know, it, it's, it's not like that at all. There's no reason for it not to be just as popular as something else that's in the top 10 of Netflix. I've, I've, I've seen, you know, much more confusing things that I don't understand how they ever got to a top 10, a top 100, yeah. top 100, let alone a top 10. Yeah. And this is, this is gorgeous, full of gorgeous people, a very glamorous and sort of sexy story. And I had beautiful little, little touches of, of, of comedy in, in, in there and uh, great performances by the cast. And I think it's, yes. if, if anything, you know, if anything, if you're confused by anything, it should just open you up to doing a little bit of research and some reading. And anything that does that, I think, is is great because if it made me have questions, then it told the story well enough that I have, that I'm able to formulate questions. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I hate to come to this and again, Every time we watch a movie that you should consider international, I I hate to come back to this. I hate to sound like like a broken disc, but is it possible that the bilingual aspect of it deterred people from watching it? Because the movie is mostly like I think it's it's a very well balanced fifty fifty between Spanish and English and even some Russian. Isn't it? Yes. Yes, um, I think that definitely could have had some effect on it, which is a shame. You know, <laughs> it doesn't, it just takes a little bit more attention to read subtitles. And, uh, you know, it's, you can catch so much context just in tone of voice and things, too, that if you didn't completely get a chance to read what the subtitles said, you know, if you're, if you're not a Spanish speaker, which I myself am not, then you can oftentimes figure out what is going on just by by your ear listening, by the tones. So I, I don't I don't know why that's such a, a difficult hurdle for some folks. I hope that that people can get over that because they're they're missing a lot of good stuff. And a lot of thought provoking stuff. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. And conversation yes. provoking too, you know? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Because uh, we've been talking about this for a little more than forty minutes. Yeah. And this could be this could be a conversation that we could go on that could go on for hours. Yeah. So it, it begs the question, really, why? Why? I mean, this movie had a budget of ten point fifty three million dollars. You know, and clearly it was from what I'm seeing here, it was destined for greater things. And 
if I'm a producer and release a movie like this, such a beautiful movie, such a a perfect storytelling to Netflix to find that it's really just tucked away in some corner where you, a search has to be performed for you to come across it. I would be very, I would be devastated. Yeah. 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 And I, I, I don't, I don't understand. And I, I, you know, speaking of conversation, I, I I wish that don't people want to talk about things. (laughs) I mean, especially now when, when, you know, that there's so, I don't know, that life is kind of turned upside down and to be able to come together and talk about something interesting, like a movie or a book or whatever, it's uh, and uh, something that makes you think a little bit outside of your bubble. Can't we have a little bit of that? <laughs> I, I don't know. It's it's yeah. People's fear of, of disclosing their ignorance, I believe, is what keeps them from learning more. Um, yeah. Because yeah. I remember this week, for instance, I've been thinking about this. Um, and I'm sort of like deviating a, a, a bit from from what we're talking about. But like when this whole Bob Woodward tapes were released, uh, mm-hmm. I was floored to see so many people actually having a beef with Bob Woodward. As opposed mm-hmm. to the man on the tape who is revealed to have known about how deadly and dangerous the coronavirus is and played it down and purposefully played it down. But hey, you know what? Bob Woodward should have fucking told us that since March. How dare he wait until it, until he was about to release his book to release these tapes? And I'm like, y'all motherfuckers are dumb. <laughs> <laughs> to be condescending but you you guys are fucking dumb yes go go be mad at bob woodward but the man who fucking took an oath to protect the nation against foreign or domestic enemies abdicated that responsibility and because of him almost two hundred thousand people are dead but your problem is with the journalist who looked at things from two perspectives and said i probably have a moral obligation to release these tapes now but i don't have a more i don't i don't have to be more moral than this motherfucker who is the president of the united states so i'm gonna play it in my favor whenever i want to yeah the the responsibility lies with the person in in the position of responsibility the journalist you could argue has some responsibility uh, as a journalist, but he isn't the president. Right. And, and when it comes down to it, the responsibility falls in the lap of the person who chose to pick up the mantle of responsibility. Damn straight. Damn straight. And that's, that's, that's what I'm thinking is that like, this is one of those things that generally reveals the ignorance within the, the, the populace. And, and it seems to me that it's one of the reasons why you have people who are so adamant. I don't do politics. I hate politics. I don't talk about politics. Now, you just don't want to reveal how fucking little you listened 
in history class, in civics class, and how how you know how how little you you think about picking up a book that is not about fucking werewolves and Dracula and shit. You know what I mean? Like, shut up. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Yep. so I mean, end of end of rant. <laughs> 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 but I had to say, Georgia, I, I just had to. Come on, yeah, seriously, I had to. Yeah, no, I I completely get it, and I I think that. I think that there's those of us who are probably well on the side of the rant, you know, those out there who are, and, but they're also tired of being ridiculed for knowing yeah. things Yeah. in, in the sense of, you know, uh, <laughs> you get made fun of if you're intelligent, I don't want to say intelligent, but well-read perhaps maybe is a better way to put it or, or informed. And, you know, that, that starts, I think, at a very early age, people get made fun of if they're smart in school and, uh, you know, they get fun of if they're, if they're, you know, better at, at some things than other people. So they learn to, to just shut their mouths and be quiet and not talk about it. And so I think you have kind of the mix of the people who are silent because they're just tired of being ridiculed for for having an opinion of of that differs from quote unquote popular opinion and then you have the people who are who are just disgusted with or or you know you have the people who are just going to scream at the top of their lungs their ignorance and those unfortunately are the folks that are more paid more attention yeah, to yeah and they're more politically active and they go vote every time obviously always for all the wrong reasons you know but yeah, it, it's I'm um, I'm sorry that I I went into this weird labyrinth of of politics and social activism and shit, but it's just it just pisses me off. So thank you for listening. <laughs> well, see, so, well, I mean, I think that that's another thing. You just apologized for for being angry about about that. So you're one of the folks who is is afraid and tired of of being attacked for speaking out against stupidity and horrible things so don't don't apologize for rants yeah don't apologize for you know like i don't have a problem with anybody uh, making fun of me or calling me a political nerd or whatever i i just it, it just bothers me when people think that when i say the thing i'm the things i'm saying the only reason i do it is you you just want to put us down because we don't know as much as you like no, that's not what I'm doing. What I'm doing is uh, it's just telling you, motherfuckers, wake up and read something. You know, wake up and get out, yeah. get away yeah. from the bubble that that satisfies only what you think you need to know, and go and find. Like, I, I had this conversation over a year ago with, with with a lady, and we were obviously talking about government and how government works and, and stuff like that. And I told her, like, the way I assimilate information, especially about politics, is that if I read something on one source, or if I hear something on one source, I'll go and do a round looking for confirmation or lack thereof of it on different sources, even those sources that I 
don't normally agree with. Do you see what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah. she, her answer to me was like, well, what about fake news? Because CNN is fake news. And I went like, all right, now, let me just end this conversation right here. I'm, I'm, I'm done with you. I'm, I'm done with you. And please don't ever talk to me about anything serious. You can just refrain, like, just, just refrain to saying hello to me. And <laughs> the, the, the reason I did that is because there's only two things that I, I, I think could ha- be happening here. Either she was mad serious, which makes her a fucking dumbass. Or she was just trolling me. <laughs> like she was secretly laughing inside for saying this. Do you know what I mean? Because, and again, mm-hmm. I can understand that certain news sources have major biases. But that's exactly the reason why I do my research. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I, I, I don't buy into the idea that 30 different news organizations are propagating fake news against the president of the United States. Yep. So you think the rest of the country wouldn't ha- wouldn't see through that? Is it not weird yep. for you that there's only one source you think is fair and balanced? That doesn't sound alarm- alarmist to you. It's 30 other ones. That are the ones that are fake. So don't have that. Let's not have this conversation. You fucked art. <laughs> <laughs> well, you you have the advantage too of, and this is an awesome advantage uh, of being able to to read in other languages. So you can see how other countries are reporting on this country and what they think and what they feel, as opposed to just say you know the English speaking ones, which are typically in alliance with the United States, not always, but typically, you know, they're, they're not going to push the buttons or the boundaries too far. So, I mean, you have the ability to check lots of sources that aren't available to, to somebody like me who only can speak and read English. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's another thing too, that you have the ability to be outside of an echo chamber, even of the States, because I would think that even, United States criticism that's coming from United States is still going to have a bias towards pro-U.S. I hope that makes sense. Yes, yes. And, and I probably have never thought about it that way. You're, mm-hmm. you're, you're right. You're absolutely right. And I probably will have to start thinking about it uh, this way, <laughs> you know. Other <laughs> <laughs> sources, you, you, you're right. That I, I, I have... The luxury of going through that. No, everybody. Well, I, I, I think that's. I think that's great, and I. Th- but I, I think that that is. I think that that is a, a way to show. If if you are talking about something, then I want to do more research about it as well. If it's something that I hold perfectly clear to my heart or whatever, because I mean, I know that you are someone who has checked all of those sources and is, has the access to all of those sources. So that makes me have even more questions. Well, if Graham is saying this, then I really need to, especially need to look into it because I know one, Graham is someone who does his research and two, Graham has access to information that I don't have access to. But it's easier to think that Graham is just some dude who reads shit in, in Mexican. (laughs) 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 
<laughs> yeah. He can done read them Mexican hieroglyphic things. <laughs> I'd be nice. So I love you spoken Mexican. Like, yeah. Actually, Spanish, but whatever, dude. Yeah. I was, yeah, I, I was really, uh, it was really funny to me when I moved to the U.S. Like, uh, living in New York, it seems like up north, people who speak Spanish are all Puerto Rican. And I'm like, but he's no, like he's he's actually from Honduras. What do you mean he's Puerto Rican? And then when I realized, oh, that's what they call anyone who speaks Spanish, I'm like, okay, so I'm gonna stop correcting them. Then we moved to the south, and it was like, yeah, he's Mexican. I'm like, no, he's actually from Guatemala. <laughs> <laughs> also, that's that's what y'all call Hispanics here. It's, okay, that's cool. Now I figured it out. <laughs> so up north is Puerto Rican. Here in the south is Mexicans. Okay. Makes perfect sense. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. So continuing with the cast, you touched on Ana de Armas. How did she do with the accent? And I, I read that the the character herself was was born in Cuba, but she moved to uh, uh, New Jersey in when she was six. So did she? Yes. Well, Ana de Armas herself is Cuban, so that's... I think Ana de Armas has lived in the U.S. for less than six years, actually. Yeah. Her, yeah. her coming to this absolute wealth of success is, is, is fantastic. But it, I, I would assume that for anybody, it would, it would be equally harder to play a Cuban-American, you know, who, who has who was raised in the U.S. and has all of these different ways of acting that are ingrained in, in having an education here. You know, the crossover of, of, of the two personalities being like, you know, I'm Cuban, but I also have some American principles that are going to fucking bash your face, you know what I mean? And I think she, she, I yeah. think she did fantastic. When she spoke Spanish, even though she had a Cuban accent, there was a little bit of a punchiness to it. Mm -hmm. Like when she received the phone call, even though she was speaking Spanish, she said, uh, hi, Roberto, <laughs> you know, instead mm -hmm. of hola, Roberto, mm -hmm. you know. <laughs> uh, the other actor I want to talk about is Gael Garcia Bernal. This is an actor who... Like most Mexican-American actors, they start in, in novellas, right? Mm -hmm. But the way that this guy has transitioned into working in American, in, in other countries' productions is amazing. And uh, he has become sort of like a another one of the guys, uh, you know. I don't know if you remember, I think he won a Golden Globe for his role in uh, Mozart. Uh, Mozart in the Jungle. Mozart in the Jungle, yeah. And he's got a huge ass fun fun base here. So 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 Americans have taken to him very 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 well. And I am elated for his seamless transition. He, mm -hmm. You know, he's been he was in Coco that movie. It was like a cartoon movie that. I think, oh, the Pixar. Yeah, Pixar. Yeah, yeah, yeah about uh. Yeah, the Santa Muerte, the, the celebration. Yes, of, yeah. but he's he's been nominated for 
for pretty much everything he's been on outside of, of the Spanish-speaking language. So that is success for, for this guy. And yeah, I think he his role in this, although he was introduced almost like towards, what, three quarters of, of the movie maybe? Yeah, yeah. But when, when he was there, he was there, anyway. Yes, yes. An actor that I'm not familiar with was this guy, uh, Leonardo Sbaraglia. He played Jose Basulto, and this dude is Argentinian. And of course, being Argentinian and with the last name Sbaraglia, you can only surmise that he's of Italian descent. But his Cubanadas were good. <laughs> he was. He convinced me that he was a, uh, he was Cuban. <laughs> he was. He was good. But other than that, I don't know much of this dude at all. I'm looking through his. He's been acting for quite a long time, but unfortunately, not anything I've seen. He says he has extensive credits to his name in Argentina and Spain. So that makes sense. That is, But this is the first time we're seeing him in anything notable in the United States. But he did his thing. I liked him. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, did. I think, I think he, he nailed the role, didn't he? Yeah, I think he did. Now, one dude who is in everything, whenever they're looking for some charismatic, enigmatic, you know, middle-aged Spanish-speaking dude is this guy Tony Plana. Mm -hmm. He played Luis Posada Carriles. This dude is seriously like like one of uh, one of the Cuban American actors with more things, more credits in his name than I've ever seen in my life. Like I don't remember anything Spanish-speaking bilingual that he hasn't been on. Yeah, when I saw him, I was like, hey, he's that guy. He's been in everything. <laughs> he's that guy, yeah. I've seen him on television shows. I've seen him on movies. I don't know. I might have seen him in a commercial, I feel like. He's been around for a very long time <laughs> and uh, been putting in solid work for a very long time. Yes. yes. And, and he's believable in everything. Yes. He's, he's the guy that you're perfectly comfortable with seeing him playing in FBI Agent and then the next day, seeing him playing a, just a, an old Cuban exile <laughs> mm -hmm. dude who ended up with a stroke and with half of his face turned turned around. So, uh, kudos, man. This dude is fantastic. Yeah. So, I don't know if this is going to be one of our most listened to episodes. Because while I feel... This movie should be one of the should should have at least made it for one day into the top tens of Netflix. Yet it didn't. I feel like this is one of the best little movies on Netflix right now. But I think at the end of the day, this is and has always been the purpose of our podcast, isn't it? Yes. So Wasp Network is on Netflix, and most likely you're gonna have to do a search for it yes because if you go around real and real and real and real and real you probably will not find it so i i f i have a feeling that somehow the you know netflix find and search algorithm has tucked this movie away for whatever reason yeah and it could well be because it, it hasn't been viewed as much so it's not popping up 
every time. I, I, I think that's how, you know, these things work. But let's make this little movie go viral, folks. Yeah. <laughs> let's do that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so the thing we have to tell you, of course, is that you are able to find us anywhere on social media, on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube and Pinterest. We are there. You'll find us. And if you do find us, please follow us. But most importantly, if you listen to these podcasts, please tell people what you think of us. Share the episode you've listened to just so that other folks can find us and subscribe because we put in the work and we hope you like it. Yes, right? Exactly. Exactly. You can find Jocelyn on Instagram as jocelyn podcast and i am a dude that you can find on instagram as mr puzzetta m-r-p-u-z-z-e-t-t-a next week we're gonna have another episode for you but for now for me for jojo we're gonna call it a day thank you everybody thank you very much everyone bye bye now